When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Here's why you should tune into today's episode. We have a big partnership between FTX and Visa. It's going global. We're going to discuss what this could mean for crypto adoption. Plus, we're going to do a deep dive into the world of institutional investment in crypto. David Seamer from Way Financial is joining us live. My name is Mark Oliveira. Moritz Siebert is here with me today. How's it going, Moritz? Marco, hey, how are you? I'm doing just fine. Always great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really excited for your conversation with Dave. It's one the viewers don't want to miss. And for the viewers, don't forget to subscribe to Real Vision Crypto. It's free. We have big guests coming on this week. If you're watching on YouTube, smash the like button, subscribe and hit the notification bell so you don't miss when we go live. Let's jump into the latest price action, Lawrence. So Bitcoin is pretty much where it was a week ago. We have seen it breach the 20K threshold only to fall back. We're currently not far above 19K. Investors are still on the edge of their seats, nervously waiting for the new U.S. inflation data that comes out later this week. It should be a major indicator of whether the economy is cooling down and it could have a significant impact on crypto prices. Ethereum, on the other hand, is trading sideways, virtually unchanged in the trailing seven-day basis, hovering around 1300 Moritz, how are you thinking through this? What are you looking at? Marco, I think it's incredibly boring. It's like watching paint dry. I mean, it's just range bound and sideways. And it feels like, you know, we're glued to, you know, the level between 19,000 and 21,000 since like forever. I mean, as you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trading these markets as a trader. I have no business um, trading these markets at the moment. It's just nothing going on. I'm not sure what could give the tailwind. Maybe it's the pivot of the central banks. You know, at some point, something will move and the trends will come back. But right now, other than, you know, my long term allocations to the space, which I love from a trading perspective, there's really nothing that I would do. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, keeping your long term long term portfolio, and that's what the the more important one is. Like the short term stuff, and kind of you know, if especially if there's nothing going on, it's a little bit boring, and people are speculating, will the Fed pivot? Won't won't they? So yeah, it's a lot of uh, definitely a lot of movements going on there. We're also keeping an eye on FTT, the native token of cryptocurrency exchange FTX. Its price popped up on Friday before the rally fizzled it out. Uh, and that brings us to our top story today. So FTX and Visa, they're expanding their partnership. Of course, Visa debit cards linked to users' FTX accounts are already available in the U.S., but the pair are expanding offerings to users in 40 more countries. Latin America will be first, followed by Europe and Asia. Customers will be able to pay with their crypto at the 80 million merchants who accept Visa cards. The payments will have zero processing fees. In an interview with Yahoo Finance, the head of Visa's crypto division said this is a big deal for the crypto industry moritz what do you think do you agree with him i think it is a big deal marco uh full disclosure i i do own ftt tokens uh, i like it I, i'm not sure where i got in but I've, i have it since since a long long time it's amazing to see or it's interesting to see that these worlds are kind of like coming together right it's, it's integrating more and more and more and i think if i remember that correctly uh, BlockFi started it with the BlockFi Rewards credit card, which I don't have because I think it was limited and it was very difficult. Like there was a wait list and all these type of things, right? But I love the idea 
of spending my dirty fiat money, which is devaluing all the time and getting Bitcoin rewards on a credit card every time I use it. I'm not so sure if I would be spending my crypto uh, to buy, you know, coffees. Um, you know, I'd rather spend my dollars and euros and all the things which, you know, inflate away anyways. I mean, of course, if you have stable coins, I, I don't have any stable coins. I, I only have stuff that moves. But I'm not so keen uh, buying anything with Bitcoin or Ethereum. I, I'd really like to sit on it and wait for it to move higher. But to answer your question, I think it is what we see in that space is that TradFi and, you know, crypto finance is coming together. There is an intersection um, and, and a common denominator. And I think, you know, in the future, these businesses, be it banks or credit card companies, they will all have, you know, a crypto offering. Um, so it'll just blend together. I'm pretty sure about that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I know that, you know, personally, I have the Coinbase uh, debit card uh, and it was like a, the same kind of process. There was like a wait list uh, mm -hmm. and you can use crypto to pay for for your transactions. Again, like you mentioned, stable coins, but you can also, you know, I guess, dip into other cryptos. And uh, so but you also earn rewards, too. So it's definitely something that I think it's going to be. Uh, coming up as like a trend, you know, more exchanges might start to have more debit cards. And then perhaps maybe, like, like you said, banks where will start also offering crypto as part of the rewards that they have with their own debit cards. We might see Chase or, you know, uh, your federal credit union might have uh, crypto rewards as part of the debit uh, offering. So very interesting story there indeed. Uh, Celsius users is the next story. So another big story we're following is there was this big leak of user data from the Celsius network in a court filing as part of its bankruptcy process. Uh, uh, the company revealed the names and transaction history of hundreds of thousands of its users. Decrypt reports the document, which had 14,000 pages, contained customer names, crypto wallet IDs, transaction types and amounts, the services that were used. This document has been taken down, but this is after it's already been widely circulated. Nick Hansen, the CEO and co-founder of Luxor, said on Twitter, this Celsius leak may go down as one of the greatest breaches of cu customer information ever. Moritz, what do you make of this? I think it's terrible. I mean, you know, the bad news just don't stop. I, I remember like in May and June when all of these things were going down with uh, Celsius, you know, Ash and I had a conversation about this. And I mean, clearly, you know, Celsius hasn't been running a first class business in the first class of way for starters to begin with. Right. And now that I'm not sure why they handed that information over, if they had to hand it over or whether it was just here it is, have a look at it. Um, but at any rate, it is for the people affected a, a terrible news item, right? I mean, your personal data, your wallet address, I'm not sure exactly what details have been revealed, but I'm not a customer of Celsius, never been, so I'm not affected, but I can I just honestly, for the lack of a better word, I think it sucks. Yeah, it does suck. And it's it's really concerning that this can, you know, happen with, you know, these type of big organizations that we have out there. So, yeah, very concerning. Another story we're looking at before we get to the interview with David Moritz is the Reserve Bank of India has announced it will launch a phase pilot of its own CBDC central bank digital currency called E-Rupee. Uh, Decrypt reports RBI is considering two versions of the CBDC, one for retail payments and one for institutions. RBI also emphasized they would not offer the same level of privacy as cash. Moritz, we've seen a flurry of news around CBDCs in the recent weeks. Central banks across the world seem to be, at the very least, exploring the idea. How do you feel about stablecoins? What are you thinking through? What, what are you thinking about with this story? There, there's so much, Marco. I'm actually not a big fan. I, I think, you know, it's it's going to go there. You know, central banks, governments, politicians, they all have a clear incentive, you know, for these things to come into existence. 
And we as users, I think we are kind of like on the other side of that. And a lot of people, they mentioned privacy concerns and the fact that, you know, you essentially become a glass box, you know, you can be stimulated and taxed on site and all these type of things. I think what, you know, people forget is it's still technology that, you know, currently doesn't live inside central banks. I don't think they have the teams um, and they have the setup to really get these things going. Definitely not at a retail level. Uh, I'm not sure if they have thought through the process of, you know, disintermediating the, um, uh, the, the, the banks, right? I mean, the, the, the commercial banks, which, you know, provide credit and all these sub things that, you know, you, you can't have a bank run on the central bank because it's a digital token. I know it can be programmed, so it doesn't happen. There's so much. Um, it has so many, you know, trains of thought that one thing I recommend uh, for listeners to do and viewers to do is, Listen to a podcast uh, on the Investors Network, I think, with Preston Pish. Uh, on 28th of September, he had Sam Callahan on. Sam has done a ton of research into the CBDD, um, CBDC space. And, you know, he has read books and papers and all this. It's like he has a very, very interesting perspective on why he thinks it's just not going to work. And there is a major accident in the waiting because the central banks will, they just want to do it, but they'll probably fall over their own two feet. So I encourage everyone to listen to that podcast. I found it hugely interesting. Uh, walking the dock in the morning uh, gets you going. Different perspective on CBDCs. Um, give it a go. Yeah, Sam Callahan, I'm going to definitely check it out. And as you mentioned, like fall over their feet. You know, I know when I go to the DMV, the, you know, the lines are long, you know, so sometimes when the government is is in control of something or with the central bank digital currencies and the org big organizations don't really have control or don't have the efficiency that they need to to have. It. And there's so much data that's available out there. So definitely something to check out. I'm going to watch that interview with Sam, uh, Sam Callahan after this show. One more. That's it for the news today. I'm going to hand it over to you for your interview with David. Of course, I'll be back with key takeaways at the end. I'm going to see you both soon, okay? Sure. Thank you, Marco. Hey, David. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Glad to How be are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm in Las Vegas today, so traveling. Well, isn't that nice? <laughs> yeah. So you've been, uh, you've been listening to Marco and myself, I guess. I mean, is there anything you'd like to add on CBDCs and, you know, wh where do you see that space going? Yeah, it's, 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 it's you know, I, I see it going kind of nowhere. I mean, it's, you know, CBDCs are kind of everything people don't like about a centralized, you know, fiat currency, inflation control, but with all the surveillance uh, you can possibly do on a permission blockchain. Um, so it, it's great. Uh, you know, it, it's wonderful for the crypto space that they're launching all these. It's a fantastic way of teaching billions of people that, you know, crypto, you know, blockchain based, you know, assets are viable and good and should be trusted and so forth. You know, I, I think the, you know, outside of them forcing people to use them, which China is and maybe India will as well, you know, no one actually wants them. <laughs> Dollars are digital. No one has trouble spending money without using paper uh, in most of the world. Um, so I don't see, you know, there's very little benefit. I, I think it's kind of a lot of noise, um, but I don't, I don't, I think it's overall good for the crypto space, but I don't think it's, again, no one wants it. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, I think we, we have an electronic money system today. You know, the dollars and the euros in our bank accounts, you know, they don't use blockchain rails, but they're electronically, uh, they, they come into existence electronically. It's ones and zeros, right? Uh, it's just yeah. the settlement processes, T plus two, T plus three, you know, peer to peer transferability. That doesn't exist yet. That could be the benefit. But, you know, I'm not sure if that ties up with all the potential negatives, some of which you have mentioned, which is surveillance and privacy and, you know, all these other things, which I'd have a huge issue with. Um, and 
I'm not sure if people really want to trust central banks as much as you know <laughs> the central banks would like to believe that's the case. Um, anyway, we got into CBDCs, what we completely missed. I didn't give you an opportunity to say who you are, what you do, what Wave Financial is. So maybe give us the uh, the two minute spin on that. Uh, how did Wave come into existence? What did you do before? What do you do today? Sure. And one last note on CBDCs. Uh, um, what's really, I think is great about it is for interoperability in the future, going like 10 years from now, and you mentioned FTX, you know, and Visa payments, which I also think is a, it's a great thing for the space. It's not going to be terribly interesting for the next like five or 10 years. Um, but eventually all this will combine. So, you know, blockchain-based currencies and Bitcoin and everything can sit in one wallet. You can, you know, if you have a credit card or debit card, you can choose which uh, currency is going to be debited. You can create your own kind of little waterfall. You know, for sure, you know, probably 10 years from now, that is the future of kind of like retail finance. You have a portfolio. It has everything. It has your stocks. If you have them, uh, whatever you have, and you can just go between all those currencies. And, and that's probably the one great case for a CPDC that everything can live in a blockchain-based wallet, you know, kind of, you know, a token wallet. Um, but yes, you know, <laughs> so uh, really quick, you know, I, I launched uh, Wave Financial about four years ago. Uh, my, my background is mostly early stage VC and then spent about 14 years as an M&A banker, sold a bunch of the early kind of internet companies from the, you know, from the 2000s, MySpace, Club Penguin. Um, uh, and we were getting, you know, I'll fast forward, I won't get my whole background, but by end of 17, we launched our first couple of dedicated crypto funds, doing mostly venture strategies. Uh, and looked around the world, and, and by that point, myself, my you know other co-founders of Wave, you know, had a couple hundred different tokens. I actually fell back into crypto back in 2010, uh, so really early. Just you know, so my peers and friends were doing some of the precursors of Bitcoin, so it was, it was kind of dumb luck. Um, but by that point, had so many tokens, <laughs> which you know, managing them became the bane of my existence. You know, this was pretty early days still, where their wallets were lousy, the exchanges were a lot harder to, you know to get access to. Um, and so looked around the world and what we saw then is exactly what you see now. You saw kind of the, you know, 50 or so companies battling it out to be the vanguard of crypto, you know, which is which is great. Like crypto needs a vanguard of crypto. It may end up being vanguard, but <laughs> we do need that pretty badly. Um, so but for uh, for someone like myself that already had, you know, I did what was the last thing I was looking for was a high fee wrapper to hold my Bitcoin. I was looking for someone to do kind of everything else like at the time, you know, liquidate lots of these other small tokens, you know, from the ICO days and advisory days. Um, but also that was the beginning of DeFi, the beginning of uh, like like high staking yields, crypto derivatives. You know, suddenly there was a lot to do, call it like early 18 with these assets besides just hold and sell, buy and sell. Um, so we looked, you know, so no one really had a platform like that. So we launched it. We became the first uh, regulated, you know, kind of registered investment advisor in the U.S. with the word crypto in it. That was one set of joys I won't go into here. Uh, we also, and, and always been the largest. Uh, so now we manage, you know, a considerable amount of assets. Our clients are mostly crypto native. So that includes a lot of protocols, high net worths, uh, and, and, you know, and do every kind of exotic strategy in crypto. So it's decent DeFi, OTC derivatives, a lot of stablecoin yield farming, arbitrage opportunities, but basically anything that you can put it, you know, yield strategies around crypto. Uh, and then the other side of our business, not to go too long on this, we have an asset management arm we launched a little bit later. We now have 10 fund products, uh, several VC strategies, a lot of structured products, and one tokenized hard asset fund. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. 
pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Although, there you go. Lots of lots of stuff going on in your in your world. I mean, you have it all from, uh, you know, income funds and DeFi and VC. And <laughs> OK, I had a look at your website. There's two things that I found um, interesting and they stood out to me. One is an NFT fund. The other one is a tokenized whiskey barrel fund. I'd like to have a chat about them because, you know, we don't see them every day. But before we go there, um, at the very beginning, you mentioned something about the evolution of DeFi and why you're really excited about that. What do you see there? How, how does DeFi evolve and, and, and why is it great? Yeah, so, I mean, we were one of the earliest, uh, I guess, you know, kind of you know, institutional players in DeFi going back to 18. Um, and, you know, the, the amazing thing about DeFi early on, and everyone knows why DeFi is amazing. I mean, this, you know, kind of programmable money, set all these parameters, lending, you know, on-chain derivatives. Uh, and, and But the first couple iterations of it, I mean, the first like two years of DeFi was really just this, you know, kind of over-incentivized, you know, money manipulation type industry. Like there wasn't really a lot of utility. Most of the yields were fake. When I, when I say fake, I mean, there's, there's real yields, meaning someone's paying you 12% to borrow your cash, like, you know, from the Bitcoin miners today. And then there's not so real yields, which is someone's got a big pool of incentive tokens and they're just giving those away to you um, in, you know, in some cases in, you know, billion dollar increments uh, to industries to get you to use a platform that eventually will have great functionality. And, you know, and that was, you know, obviously the beginning of DeFi summer. And, you know, at, at the moment, I think probably close to half of Waves um, AUM is, is in various DeFi strategies. You know, so we're pretty, you know, pretty large players in that space. But it's, you know, I, finally it's starting to change into a very real world model. Um, so there's, you know, concept of re real FI is like the Cardano guys call it or CD FI as Ripple guys call it or, you know, a whole bunch of other names for it now. But it's really taking all of these DeFi pipes um, that are that are brilliant and and are world changing and finally connecting it to real world endpoints and traditional endpoints, you know. So like we do a lot in Africa and Southeast Asia with some of our partners. Uh, to give one company a shot, we invested in a company called Possession in Kenya. Amazing platforms, you know, it's a micro lending trend, uh, platform in Africa. Uh, so they lend lend out you know hundreds of millions of dollars of of cash in you know kind of five hundred to a thousand dollar increments. Uh, and the yields are right now kind of in the like high 20% range, you know, so it, it's great. That's, that's net yields, you know, minus kind of uncollectibles. Uh, and, you know, it's a brilliant platform. They have a lot of tools and social vetting to make, you know, to reduce defaults. You know, but the yields are fantastic. Now, obviously, as that scales, those yields will come down. You know, but we've been working with one of our partners, which is Cardano, who kind of started as an Africa coin, um, to, you know, go, you know, build kind of the DeFi pipes on one side. So on one side, you have, you know, some, you know, kind of basic DeFi experience where you can contribute stable coins or other assets. Uh, and then on the, on the, you know, on the demand side of that, you have real people borrowing the money and paying high yields. Uh, there's no incentivization, but, but doesn't need it. You know, and doing a lot of similar strategies across like um, Southeast Asia and, and a few other kind of portions of the world where you know, I think that's really the, that is the future to us of, of DeFi. It's not going to be these, you know, kind of tokenomic models, <laughs> you know, high incentive models yeah. that, seems to, you know, that finally that seems to have died, which we see as, you know, it was fun while it lasted. I'm not going to lie, you know, <laughs> the yields were fantastic, but it was never going to last. 
So the way you invest in DeFi, I mean, are you focused on the kind of like the yield component, lending, providing liquidity, market making, these type of things where, you know, you can make your 10 to 20 percent, as you've just mentioned, and have like this smooth ride? Or do you also have directional investments in some of the DeFi tokens? I'm asking because, you know, as you know, some of these have drawn down 80 or 90 percent even and uh, you know, hopefully they're coming back up. Where, where do you see the where do you see? So what do you do and where do you see this market going? Do you think we've seen the lows here and it's it's up from here or how do you see DeFi evolving here price wise yeah i i do think we're we're kind of at the lows i mean we'll we'll see i think as far as DeFi yields go i think we're at the lows because honestly the, the yields are lousy <laughs> um they can't go a lot lower i mean you know we love ave but like cash earning you know half a point is is pretty you know crazy in a world where the risk-free rate is upwards of four uh, and there's still, you know, billions of dollars there. And I, I don't know why we actually think about this a bit. I think the answer simply is a lot of people don't want to take their money out of crypto and actually go into a fiat world, you know, so they're okay just getting 1%, uh, but it's not logical, you know, and <laughs> you know, it makes no sense that people would, you know, take platform risk anywhere to get something below the risk-free rate. Um, so, so, so I think the, Again, so I, so I think DeFi yields are very low. Yes, a lot of the DeFi specific tokens are very, very low for that same reason. Uh, I do think that the yields will normalize. Like there are, you know, the, the reason the rates are so low on Aave is because in order to access that yield, you have to be crypto. Like you have to have like other another asset like Bitcoin that you have a, you know, that you're taking a directional bet on. Uh, which is why you don't see, you know, whatever the the Blackstones of the world pouring, you know, billions of dollars into Aave. They'd have to take billions of dollars of like Bitcoin or Ethereum risk, and you can you can hedge, but the cost of hedging is several percent a year, so you you lose the yield. Um, but it, you know, but the so and, and you ask. Going too fast, five. Backing up one second. So, so Wave does everything. <laughs> so we have a lot of pure yield strategies that are more cash focused. We do. We actually run a liquidity provisioning, you know, pure play fund um, that just goes into DeFi liquidity pools and generates yield. Uh, and you can still get kind of twenty plus percent yields. Uh, it's hard. It's hard to do it at scale. Um, and at the scale we do it, it it's it's hard. <laughs> um, but you know, but it is still there. And now the risk is also relatively high, and, and the strategy's got very complicated. You know, gone are the, the days of DeFi where you could like do something pretty simple, obviously like a UST or like a curve tri pool, uh, where you basically put some assets there and, and not really pay attention to it for a while. You know, all the strategies that generate high yields in DeFi now are, are very complicated. You're usually shorting baskets of tokens and trying to manage the the, the balances on, on kind of a 24/7 basis, so you can pull off some of these like very high staking yields or LP yields. Um, so. I'll pause there. I'm probably going a little far. <laughs> <laughs> That's all great. So enough said on DeFi. I mean, we all hope it's uh, it's moving higher from here. I agree with you. Like having having exposure to the platform and receiving less than the risk free rate with you know the two year US yield that being north of four, I think, is mm -hmm. kind of laughable, right? You wouldn't do that. But there seems to be some stickiness in that system, uh, which is why that isn't resolved uh, like that. So, but anyway, moving moving on to some of the funds that you had and which I saw on your website, I found interesting that NFT fund, I mean, you have an index fund or kind of like a, a tracking market cap weighted tracking fund. You have one that I think sells BTC volatility calls at the end of the month to generate income um, and, and have, you know, hopefully better risk adjusted returns in the long run. And then I saw this NFT fund and, you know, NFTs, it's been all the hype a year ago, but more than a year ago. 
Um, it's no longer as hype right now. How does it look? What do you do there? Um, where does it trade? Do you still see investors coming in? Um, tell us about it. Yeah, so the, the NFT fund is, is a hybrid strategy. So it's about 60% infrastructure. So think like a VC strategy, you know, going into mostly kind of pre-seed or seed rounds of companies issuing NFTs and, and infrastructure plays, uh, pretty much all token-based. So we've only done one or two equity-based deals, but you can think of it as a NFT-focused crypto VC fund. And then about 40% of the assets in that fund are the actual collectibles themselves. So everything from like punks and apes on down. Uh, and and the, the strategy on the collectible side is mostly like a kind of on the drop strategy. Uh, so we do a teeny bit of speculating, you know, you know, we bought a couple of punks when they were they were really cheap um, a bit ago. And they're still fairly cheap, but they're 80% you know, up from where the, the actual bottom was. Um, but mostly we're going into new projects and doing like free mints or minting, you know, dozens of NFTs and projects we like. Uh, and then, you know, we'll, you know, do, do kind of a basic management strategy. We'll sell, you know, the, you know, something, you know, a decent number of those right after the launch. Uh, usually there's a little, you know, pop or something. Uh, so the fund has done incredibly well. We have about a hundred investors in that vehicle. Um, we you know, are, you know, are still raising capital there. Uh, NFT market is certainly challenged, um, but that fund is actually, you know, and we mostly peg it kind of in Ethereum terms. In Ethereum terms, it's up wildly still. Uh, in dollar terms, it's up a little, <laughs> you know, which is pretty good considering we started it in late 21. Um, so it's been a great vehicle. Um, it's, it's a hard asset class to get kind of proper exposure to. It is a very high velocity fund, which is actually not quite what we envisioned when we started it, uh, meaning you really need to be super nimble in the NFT space, space and just go in and out of positions very quickly. Um, you know, it was originally thought we, you know, it was always meant to be a very active strategy, but we thought it'd be a little bit more of a buy and hold, you know, kind of hold some of the marquee assets and whatnot. And, and as we've kind of seen the, you know, most of those assets going down so rapidly, <laughs> you know, it's become a very, very active strategy. Um, so, but it's, it's yeah. a cool vehicle. Do you accept, um, NFTs as collateral against cash? I mean, are you engaged in some, you know, lending and borrowing, uh, business around it, you know, and I know there are some platforms there. I actually find that business really interesting. Um, you know, you get a, say, a grail of very like high class NFT as collateral with a substantial haircut and you, you know, charge a very high interest rate on top of that. Uh, and you essentially auto liquidate the collateral if, um, if, if, you know, there's a, there's default on the payment stream. So is that a business that you're looking into or are you more, no, it's VC and directional NFT token holdings. You, uh, you like the volatility. Yeah, no, we're a yield shop. So we do all of those things. Um, and there's actually some clever things I think we do. Like it, NFTs are not that liquid. Um, so you can use a lot of the lending rails uh, that do exist around NFTs as kind of an exit. You know, so a lot of the platforms let you borrow or almost kind of like a downside hedge. Like in a lot of cases, if you have like a you know pretty marquee NFT that's you know hard to sell, you can borrow like 90% of the value in ETH. And then, you know, in, in some of those cases, you know, if, it, if the market is crashing, we're happy to sell them. You can just let them be, you know, swept as collateral, uh, but you keep the ETH. <laughs> so there's, all, there's, all, there's a ton of strategies you can do around them. There's huge yield strategies. We don't usually lend our NFTs out too often, just purely in a yield sense, mostly because of the platform risk. Uh, like we're not that confident in a lot of the platforms out there. There's been a lot of challenges. 
Um, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of challenges. <laughs> a anything, a everything in DeFi when it's emerging has a lot of challenges, a lot of exploits. You know, um, so but we do a, a lot of staking NFTs. We do a lot of royalty stream NFTs. Um, so wherever we can find yields, we we take advantage of that. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Um, next one up, which I thought was really exciting, is your tokenized whiskey barrel fund. I think uh, I'm not sure exactly what the name is. I don't remember it. You can uh, you can enlighten us there. But essentially, yeah. you have what I think is an asset-backed security or an asset-backed structure whereby you have um, you know securitized these whiskey barrels. But you've decided to tokenize it on top of. I'm mean, actually. I, I don't know what you've tokenized. Whether the fund units are tokenized or whether the whiskey barrels are tokenized. Explain to us what's exactly tokenized, what's tradable, and also what I'm particularly interested in is why is that an advantage? Like what improves through the tokenization vis-a-vis -a, -vis a world where it's kind of like the traditional asset backed security world, which is also tradable. So this was a, just kind of a fun fund to do. Like we and we launched this in kind of you know late 2019. There there actually wasn't a whole lot going on in the crypto world. And the, the genesis of it really was that we you know, we sell crypto products and manage crypto assets. And in, you know and we talked to a lot of non crypto people to do that. We have you know a couple hundred investors across our different funds. Uh, and there wasn't much demand in 2019 for crypto products. We said okay, let's do a non crypto thing because we're spending all this money and time talking to all these folks anyway. Way. So looked at a ton of different assets and whiskey barrels, you know, pretty quickly, I don't know how we even came onto it, um, became, it was, it was a brilliant financial asset. So really simply, I know a lot about whiskey now, even though I actually don't really like drinking whiskey, but I <laughs> learned a lot about the whiskey industry. So to buy a barrel of whiskey, and that's what we're, that's what we're, uh, that's what the fund holds. Uh, so the basic structure of the fund is it's a proper like Reg D, Reg S fund. We um, buy barrels of whiskey. You can buy a barrel, and all whiskey is the same. Like it's, eth it's wood and ethanol. Now you can use different types of wood. You can put in a hint of vanilla or something, uh, but it's, it's you know, but ethanol is ethanol. Uh, so you you know, for about eight hundred dollars, you can get a barrel of whiskey, uh, you know, brand new. Uh, and then at the end of say five six years, there's a pretty vibrant B two B market, and those barrels sell for four to five thousand dollars. Uh, so as a financial asset, it's pretty brilliant. And obviously, there's almost never going to be a world where a aged you know properly aged you know barrel of whiskey would be worth less than a new barrel of whiskey like obviously it has to age uh, you're not even allowed to sell it as whiskey i think for four years um so it's a great financial asset you know the industry you know, average like a 30 percent um apy or irr uh and it's a you know and, and and there's a huge oligopoly around whiskey that just constrains supply so, so one barrel of whiskey makes about 250 bottles uh, and i just told you what it cost and all of it's the same, <laughs> you know. So any, no matter what bottle of whiskey you buy, the cost inputs, even if it's aged like 20 years, is maybe a maximum of like four dollars and fifty cents. Um, so there is, you know, it's all the same. But there's oligopoly where they don't increase supply because obviously all the big makers of whiskey could massively increase supply, but they would just drive their pricing down. Like it's, <laughs> you know, they like selling bottles for forty, fifty dollars. They don't want to sell them at, at cost. Uh, like most other industries are forced to. Um, so anyway, and, and consumption is going crazy in whiskey. So the so we did and an plan to tokenize the fund. It, you know, legally it's structured that way. The challenge we ran into is we have you know a few dozen investors in that fund, uh, and no one will sell. 
<laughs> it's a really good asset. It's averaging, like I said, like you know, the, the whole the asset itself. I mean, you know, averages about thirty percent IRR. You know, and so in this environment, like, why would you sell it? Um, so we have everything set up. We are tokenizing it with Vertalo. We have it uh, all the pipes. You know, the, the retail distribution set up through like INX and everyone else. And we'll try again. We keep trying to get. We need at least like a decent number of people to be willing to sell. Um, their their shares, um, or what? Why list it? And we we haven't found anyone that will sell it. <laughs> so we're, we're we're just kind of sitting on it right now. It is not a very it's, it's, it's and the, the whole reason to tokenize it, which we thought was really cool, is you could do you can make all sorts of interesting financial instruments. Like you, there is no such thing as a whiskey future. Um, and things, you know, so we, us being, you know, finance asset management guys, we thought, okay, we could, we could do some pretty cool things. We could give people an option to, you know, you know, basically, you know, uh, hedge out their whiskey risk, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you may have a market neutral whiskey habit. Um, but yeah, but it's been, it's been hard to get people to actually give us the liquidity to create those products in the market. Seems like you have a luxury problem there with, uh, you know, nobody willing to sell. I mean, isn't, isn't, isn't that nice <laughs> therefore the liquidity of the token does develop. <laughs> Um, hey, let me throw it back to Marco. Um, unless David, you have any more questions? I mean, is there anything you'd like to bring up? Otherwise, I'll you know we'll tee it back up to Marco to uh, to wrap it up for us. No, I mean, I think I mean, one last thing would just be like you mentioned the the Celsius you know documents coming out and and, and yeah, and in a in a typical bankruptcy process, you know, you do supply all your data. So I think they had to supply all the data. You know, I mean, it, there's so much talk around AML KYC and what the SEC, you know, Gensler is doing and trying to kind of drive everything down into regulation and whatnot. And I think Celsius is a really interesting case of the kind of downside of aggressive AML KYC. Like there's no, there was actually wasn't a lot of reasons for Celsius to have all that data other than there's this, you know, kind of rule that says you have to provide all this data. Mm. Um, so, you know, it, it does, you know, it, one of the bigger impetuses in crypto is this kind of like zero knowledge, you know, kind of model where you could self KYC yourself, you know, identity type solutions um, without and, and have a formal system of that where the institution doesn't have to actually get your data. data. And I think this will be a nice catalyst within kind of crypto circles to really kind of push that narrative. Now, I have no idea when the regulators will actually accept that. Uh, but there are, you know, most people don't think about the downsides of like AML KYC. Like obviously the government is, is going to try to, it seems they're going to try to force like USDC to only go to reg, you know, regulated wallets and, you know, and, and, you know, and everything. And there, there is, there is a cost uh, that most people don't really seem to understand until you see things like this. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Got it. Yeah. Marco, what do you think? Yeah, well, I thought it was a great conversation. I mean, you guys, in the beginning, you guys were talking about uh, CBDCs a bit. So I thought that was really interesting. But what really stood out to me was this idea of the evolution of DeFi. You know, so when David was talking, he was saying that the first two years of DeFi was really over incentivized, right? People were having these tokens and these pools, and they were really just trying to get people to use their product. And now we're starting to see a move towards a real world model, real FI, as I think as uh, David uh, coined it, right? Talking DeFi pipes or taking the DeFi pipes and that are world changing and then connecting them to real world endpoints. Uh, he mentioned micro uh, a micro lending platform in Africa with where the yields are 
in the high 20% range. I thought that was really interesting. And then speaking about yields, I know that both of you guys said, you know, right now they're low on DeFi. People are earning like 1% on stables. And that doesn't make any sense, right? When the risk-free rate of a two-year US yield is upwards of 4%. Uh, but I think it kind of speaks to like something larger going on. There's stickiness with DeFi, despite the fact that people could take their money out and go and earn this risk-free rate of upwards of 4%. They're sticking around in DeFi. So I think that's really important to, to uh, pay attention to. The other thing I found really interesting was this whole thing about the NFT funds, right? So uh, Wave Financial has this NFT fund uh, where they have everything from punks to ape. They, try, they trade everything. And, you know, a lot of uh, one of the common ideas there uh, with NFTs out in the in the marketplace or out with people on Twitter, they're saying the best strategy is to buy and hold. But what Dave's doing at Wave Financial is they're an active strategy there. It's not buy and hold there. It's because it's a, it's a high velocity fund. They need to be super nimble to get in and out of positions. And I thought that was really interesting because it's a def different perception of what other people in the you know the, the the regular you know crypto investors might might do so i thought that was really interesting and also the whiskey fund was really interesting to me right so there wasn't much demand in 2019 for uh, regular crypto assets uh, but you could buy a, a whiskey barrel in this fund it makes 250 bottles of whiskey you can sell it for four to five k in the future 30 percent irr and the only difficulty there is that you can't get enough people to sell out of it so that was a really great thing Again, that was a really br brilliant conversation. Thank you both. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys have anything else that you want to add there to what you said. Maybe I uh, misspoke somewhere. Definitely would love to get your input there. No, I think, I think I, I'm happy to answer any more questions. But yeah, you know, I think, you know, I think that was a great conversation. Really love being on the show. So, so yeah. Awesome. Awesome, guys. Well, so next here we have an interesting segment from our very own Samuel Burke, Real Vision's managing editor. He is in Dubai for the World Blockchain Summit, and he moderated a few panels there earlier today. He sent us this recap. Let's take a look. Well, there's an outsized focus on regulation here. I say outsized because I don't think the average person in the crypto community is nearly as focused on regulatory framework as the big players in this industry are. And of course, all of the big companies in blockchain are here at the Future Blockchain Summit in Dubai. One thing that I've noticed is that so many of the companies uh, that we know that are theoretically based in Asia have set up shop temporarily here, or theoretically temporarily, because I get the sense that a lot of them are here to stay. Yes, they left because of COVID lockdowns and restrictions, but because there's this new framework under consideration they're developing right now and in Dubai, many of these companies are considering staying. Now, I had a chance to speak to the head of regulation for blockchain, Alex Shahadi, and asked him about this window of opportunity that Dubai has with so many of these companies considering whether they stay or go back. The regulatory specific, so it's not based off existing framework, not based off ex existing leg uh, legacy financials. So they've had the time to sit and look and consume what others have done. And with that knowledge, they've been able to build a more conducive framework. You know, they've not rushed out. They've spent time. They've engaged with key stakeholders, technologists, industry players, and, law and lawmakers to build something that's going to work. I think you hear a sense of optimism from Alex there, but not just from companies like Binance. Overall, there is a sense because the Dubai regulators are working so closely with industry, these companies sense that the regulation will come out and be hospitable to, to their companies. Uh, words that I've heard on panels that I've been moderating today here 
Clarity is what one former regulator talked about being the most important. They know they're not going to get everything they want, either the companies or consumer advocates, but they think if they get the clarity, which they're predicting that it'll bode very well for their businesses. Uh, another term that was so important in one of the discussions that I had was education, not education necessarily at a high school or college level, but an education for all of the arms of government that are going to be dealing uh, with this type of regulation. Uh, that means not just uh, finance regulation, but also defense. They want to see that type of cooperation from as many parts of government as possible so that a place like Dubai can meet its aspiration of becoming a hub for blockchain. And I think the most important word I heard was enforcement. Uh, we were speaking to the head of one company who said, you know, you can have regulators go after one company in the U.S., but if it's just that one company, it actually doesn't send a strong message because there are so many small and medium players who are wondering if they will stay out of the eye of the target of these regulators. So enforcement across the board is actually incredibly important for companies around the world and here in Dubai to see if they can work within the frameworks that they know are coming. Awesome. That was an amazing clip from Samuel Burke. He's out there for a few more days. Uh, appreciate him for hustling and sending this over to us. What did you guys think? They they were talking about regulatory clarity, or he was talking about regulatory clarity, you know, Dubai. What are your what are your thoughts there? Maybe I yeah. go first. I hear from a couple of people that Dubai and the UAE is on fire. I mean, a lot of people have moved over from Singapore. Um, they really seem to be willing to embrace this and lead this from the front. Um, I mean, other regions as well, they're just a little bit slower, but in, in general, I think once we have that regulatory framework, once we have clarity, not only on regulation, but also on taxation, that can only be positive for the space because it will allow investors, we know, large investors, institutional investors to come to the space because now they know what's happening. They know, you know, what to do, what not to do, what the, you know, essentially avoid the mistakes, you know, and, right. and, and that can only be a positive. What about you, Dave? What do you think? Yeah, so so spent a lot of time out in Dubai and, and Abu Dhabi recently. I'm actually back there again in next month uh, for the, the big Milken Summit, I'm speaking. Uh, it, it's an amazing opportunity that they built with VARA. Um, so I had a, you know, the fortune last time I was there a few months ago to sit down with His Excellency Halal, who's the Director General of the Economy that sits over VARA. And what they basically did is talk to all the bigger crypto leaders, some which we helped with, and, and said, okay, if you had your dream framework, <laughs> you know, that gives you a, you know, a regulatory shield, if you're a, an exchange, a, you know, derivatives, which is more of a securities platform, if you're a token issuer, uh, if you're a fund manager, you know, what, what, what would you like the regulation to look like? And they basically produced, you know, a pretty decent version of that, would, not, not perfect, but, uh, but more perfect than they were any other jurisdiction in the world. Uh, so kind of taking a page out of what Singapore did a couple of years ago, and then a couple of years ago, you know, about a year and a half ago, Singapore went incredibly negative on crypto. Um, so, you know, obviously UAE is a, is a first world country very much. You know, I think Dubai is kind of a gray listed jurisdiction and by the way the British look at it, uh, but it's never gonna be blacklisted. You know, it's too important, too much money. Um, so they have the latitude to create a framework and I think, you know, everyone will kind of recognize it. Uh, and and when, as this framework rolls out, it'll give you about a, you know, kind of, I think it's about an 85 country, you know, map where you can do basically whatever they allow, which is basically anything. 
Um, so it's, it's pretty incredible. We, we acquired, um, uh, we're still in the process of acquiring a company in Geneva that has an office in Dubai. Uh, so we spend a lot of time in the region. We have a lot of clients in that region. And, you know, and it's, it's just booming for crypto. So they're doing the right things. <laughs> you know, it's probably the far and away the most positive jurisdiction, you know, globally for crypto. That's that's first world. There's some other ones that are very positive that are not first world, but you know you need you need first world jurisdictions. That's why we've seen you know most of the major crypto exchanges relocating to Dubai, um, and 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 it's yeah it's, it's a wonderful environment. So we'll be spending a lot more time out there ourselves. Yeah, so I guess we can only expect it to continue to keep booming as you know they keep adding having favorable type of out you know environment for uh, for crypto companies. So that's amazing. Well, onto our final segment of the show, we have viewer questions. We only have time for just one. Uh, is it cool with you guys if we uh, you know if we if we answer this one here? We have a Discord question from Tom. I'm not sure who would like to take this one. Uh, it's uh, which do you see having the best growth in the next market cycle? Let's start with you, David. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, we're we're pretty focused that the future of crypto is is both DeFi and NFTs. I mean, I think NFTs are very down, but I actually strongly believe that I I think you know NFTs have the potential to rival the value value of the rest of crypto combined. You know, just because of the endpoints people actually touch. So I'm 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 old. I was a VC in '95 when Netscape rolled out. You know, that was when you know the internet went from like a black screen with white text, <laughs> you know, to what we kind of think of now. And and NFTs to me are that. You know, so the biggest, and that's why we launched this fund and why we've leaned in really hard in that sector. We actually have two NFT style funds. Um, but it's you know you know the the and the data we always look at is the gaming space and that's that's where everything's going to change. There's 480 million people on the planet that spend more than 35 hours a week playing video games, uh, which is a staggering number, and it's 100 billion dollars a year in revenue. And I think that's just going to become so much bigger over time. Um, and and with NFTs, you know, in persisting goods, I think it's just going to supercharge that. You know, so you you know people know how what mobile gaming looks like now. For like five dollars, you can buy a sword in your favorite video game. Uh, and but then when you get sick of that that game three months later, it's kind of a throwaway. But if that was persistent, you wouldn't just maybe just spend $5 in a store, maybe you spend $500. If you knew you could actually sell it on to somebody else, or you could experience it up and level it up, or if you think you're good at the game and you can pick really well, you know, there's persistent value there. Uh, so I think there's a huge, so I think NFTs across everything, and I'm, you know, less focused on like PFPs, more on kind of one-of-one -one art, play to earn, you know, not play to earn, but, you know, video game style models. Uh, you know, there's a huge, you know, music, you know, movies, royalty. You know, there's, and there's a huge opportunity there. And then DeFi, you know, there's a ways to go, but it will jump the chasm to actually, you know, to, to, you know, being what we talked about before, real, real yields, you know, real, real utility, actually connecting all the pipes from the traditional world into a, you know, base layer where anyone can play and kind of democratize that aspect of finance. You know, I, I think it'll be massive. You know, it'll be a you know, hundred trillion dollar sector at some point. And then, Morris, how about you two? Briefly, what what do you think? Uh, what, what do you see having the best growth in the next market cycle? You know, Raul, uh, John, and myself, we all think that space is just going to move higher. You know, that adoption it is growing exponentially. It is moving higher over time. What we're not very good at, and sometimes we're lucky, but more often than not, we're unlucky, is figuring out exactly which token or coin is going to be moving the needle next week, next month, next year. I don't have any skill forecasting this, which is why we have our investment company, we have our funds so that we can allocate capital to some of the best specialists out there in the world, hedge funds that trade liquid strategies, and they figure it out for us and they do a great job. That is what we do. 
there's just too much going on for me. It's like, you know, 20,000 digital assets out there figuring out which ones of those are going to make it is it's just not my skill set. So I'm very happy to have other people do that for me. Well, amazing. Thank you both for your comments and for the interview today. I think there was a lot of things that people could take away from it. That's it for today, everyone. Thank you all. Don't forget to subscribe. Real Vision Crypto is free. For those of you watching on YouTube, smash everything. Hit the like button, hit subscribe, hit the bell so you know when we go live. Before we go, we would like you to consider subscribing to Real Vision Essential. It's the entry-level entry access to in-depth macro content on RV. We've listened to your feedback and we've worked hard to make it an even better product. It's now available at a reduced price of $99 a year. Head over to realvision.com forward slash get essential to sign up. Tomorrow, we have Andrew Cahill from The Block to talk about cross-chain networks. Plenty to talk about in the wake of the Binance hack. Join us at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 9 a.m. on the West Coast, 5 p.m. on London, midnight Hong Kong, live on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Yeah.